Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sports Speak, powered by SeatGeek, episode 137. I'm Eddie Kalegi. Tim Moore is not here. That is not Tim Moore, but that is Zoe Alto. She is back to join us today on Sports Speak and a great show to get to. We're going to focus on Major League Baseball. And for us two Mets fans, it has not been a great last two weeks. And uh, we're going to have to start there since we both have our uh, beautiful City Field murals behind us. And I will be at City Field on Friday, and I'm looking forward to going to the game but I am not happy with the team's performance over the last two weeks and I'll just say it like this the Mets are so flawed right now in pretty much every single way I don't see a path for this team to make the playoffs at this point the starting pitching has not been consistent at all Scherzer Verlander Sanga Carrasco McGill they've all had decent starts but then they'll have an awful one mixed in there nobody's really been elite offensively your best player is now hurt in Pete Alonso. Francisco Lindor has underperformed as has Starling Marte other than Francisco Alvarez none of the other young prospects that have come up have really made a major major difference and the bullpen not having Edwin Diaz of course is just another wrinkle in all of it not to mention the NL is pretty good especially the East the Braves are still great the Marlins are playing well and I think the Phillies are going to be just fine So right now, the Mets are really searching for answers, don't really know what they can do. Besides Ronnie Mauricio, not really any prospects they can call up. They just signed Luke Voigt, which makes absolutely no sense. At least it's better than signing Gary Sanchez a few weeks ago, just to DFA him a week later, and then DFA Tomas Nito. So now there's only two catchers on the roster. But the thing that really frustrates me, I like adding Voigt because you get, you know, a first baseman who can play instead of Pete Alonso while he's hurt. But I just saw that Daniel Murphy signed with the Los Angeles Angels and he was hitting like 400 in the Atlantic League. Like if you wanted someone who could be a spark plug, how about the best postseason performer in the history of the team in Daniel Murphy, who can clearly still play. And at this stage of his career plays first base, he'd be a perfect solution. And if you want someone who could really get some energy back in the team, how about your postseason hero from eight years ago? Instead, you get Luke Voigt, who's over the hill and it doesn't really make any sense. But uh, Zoe a few weeks ago on this show, I said I wasn't going to hit the panic button because I thought they were going to get things together. And they had that good stretch against the Rays and the Guardians, and they swept the Phillies. Now it's all falling apart. That Brave series was one of the worst series I have ever seen the Mets play. They cough up three run leads in all three games. At this point, I'm hitting the panic button. This team is in major trouble, and I just don't know what they're going to do. At this point, I am insanely slamming my hand down on the panic button. There is something going very wrong here. I mean, for me, I think a lot of the issue comes from, like, I cannot stand Vogelback. Every time he comes to the plate, I lose my mind. Like, I can't do it. And so I think the biggest thing for me, like, the first thing to do is send him back down. Like, I cannot do. I know he's sad the last couple of games, but I just cannot handle him, first of all. Um, Lindor has to start hitting. Like, I know you mentioned Lindor, but Lindor's supposed to be this person that, like, brings up the whole offense, and that's just not happening. I'm glad that is playing more. I think that's good. I think he's a really, like... I think he's a plug in like a player that you can plug in there a lot. And I'm glad the Mets are finally doing that. I think the only real chance they have is like to continue signing players. And my my big hope is, is Shohei Otani because I feel like right now there are so many good young players the Mets have, but you need some sort of spark. Like when Brett Beatty came up and when Alvarez came up, we had that little spark and the Mets did well for a little while, but then they fell off again. So you need a spark that's going to be more of a longer term spark. And I think if that spark 
were to be someone who would help your pitching, which has been kind of a disaster, as you said, and help your hitting and be solid there. I think that would be really helpful. I think when Pete Alonso comes back, that's also going to be really helpful. But until then, the bets can't be in free fall like this for the next three weeks, because I mean, right now, what are they nine games down? Like you can't to come back from nine games down, like they're going to have to work hard anyway. You can't fall any further than this. The fact that the Mets are at the bottom of the division, basically with the nationals is so bad. Like, Coming into the season, you and I both thought, okay, maybe this isn't a team that's going to win the World Series, but they're going to make the playoffs. They could be contenders for something. Right now, like you said, I don't even see them making the playoffs. So I definitely think you have to make some changes within the team. And I don't even know, like Nimmo was hitting really well, but now he's just kind of meh. Like, I think there's a lot of players who have the ability to be really, really good and are kind of just at that middle of the road mark. And I know it's not for like a lack of trying. I just think there's something missing. And so I think that's really important. And I also think it's important, like, especially the pitching. And I know we keep coming back to this, but it wasn't like in the Brave series, the Mets weren't putting up runs. Like, and in the last couple of seasons, the Mets have been putting up runs or like they'll go, I mean, they got to like the 10 run mark and stuff. And then they just lose after that. And so I think the biggest problem for me is like, and obviously that was when Pete Alonso was here and it's different, but you're having some sort of run production and you know, the Mets can do that either. Some games, they'll have games where they don't do anything. I know that. But some games, they'll have games where they put up a lot of runs and they'll still lose because the pitching isn't there. And so for me, I think it starts with the pitching because hitting happens. Hitting is streaky on and off and you want someone who's consistent and the hitting is going to come back. I have no doubt that the Mets hitting is going to return. But you can't, your pitching can't be shaky. You need your pitching to be good all year long. And so for me, I don't know what the solution was. Clearly, it wasn't Jacob deGrom because he's gone and now he's hurt. So I'm glad we didn't re-sign him. But I think there's something missing and there's some hole you have to fix. And clearly Scherzer and Verlander, as much as we want to believe are fixing that hole are very much not. They are not for sure. And I don't really, uh, in some ways you can feel like this is kind of what you expected going into the season because you have such an old rotation and you could say the Mets kind of did this to themselves, but as much as we complain about the offense and they've underperformed, I think it all, like you're saying, it all goes to the starting rotation. Because if you remember last year, everybody was getting mad about the offense underperforming and not scoring at times, especially when DeGrom was on the mound or Scherzer was on the mound and they weren't getting run support. But guess what? They still won 101 games and had their best season in seven years. Like the pitching rotation is what has taken the major step back. The offense is struggling at times and has been hit or miss just like it was last year. And they were able to salvage it because the rotation was so good. And like you said, DeGrom, they dodged a bullet because, of course, he needs Tommy John now. Taiwan Walker has been iffy with the Phillies. Maybe they dodged a bullet there. The one that frustrates me, I wish they kept Chris Bassett because I think he takes a lot of the fall because he had two iffy starts at the end of the season. He was pitching an elimination game against the Padres in a high-stakes situation and didn't have a great game. And he had a bad start against the Braves. But guess what? So did DeGrom and so did Scherzer in that series. And Bassett proved it when he pitched for Toronto in that series a week and a half ago, shut down the Mets for seven innings. So at this point, I think when you look at the rotation from last year to this year, that's the real problem here. I know they're going to get Jose Quintana back soon, but that's not really the big I, I, mean, I also think like with the rotation, as you're saying, I think coming into the season, right, when the Edwin Diaz thing happened, I mean, I know you and I freaked out. Like the two of us, I think, got on Zoom like right after it happened and we were just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, like this is not good. And I think a big part of not having as strong of a relieving team or a closing team is the fact that you need your starters to step up. And so you need your starters to be able to go more than four innings. And we've seen multiple times this year starters come out in the fourth or fifth inning. That can't be happening because unless you have a great relieving team, which we don't really have. 
you need starters who can go a long way. And in games where our starters have gone longer, we've done better. And so I know the Mets like, you know, putting in a different pitcher every inning and that works sometimes, but you can't do that every time. It's not efficient and you're, you wear the arms down. And so I think in order to go with what you're saying, like, I think it all falls on the starting pitching because you can't even let the relievers do their thing if they're overworked because the starters aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, and the bullpen for losing Edwin Diaz really hasn't done that bad yeah. this year. Like, to me, they've lost 35 games at this point. I can only pinpoint two that they've lost because they didn't have Edwin Diaz in the bullpen. There was one against the Brewers where they gave up a walk-off because they had to have Adovino close, and then that 13-10 to 10 game against the Braves. That was one where the bullpen failed. But other than that, the bullpen has done pretty well, but... The, maybe the reason that 13 to 10 game happened was because the bullpen was so taxed from the last two nights because Max Scherzer didn't go far and Carlos Carrasco didn't go far. And these pitchers are just pitching day in, day out, over and over and over again. Drew Smith is getting overused. Dominic Leone is getting overused. Adovino and Robertson, who are both mid to late 30s, are getting overused too. So at this point, I think it does all fall on the starting rotation. And then we get to the question of management and the coaching staff, because there's a lot of people who want Buck Showalter gone and say he's out of touch. Now, I feel like you can't put it all on him because in this era that we live in in baseball, the managers often don't even make the lineups and make most of the decisions. It's coming from above. And here's the problem with getting rid of Billy Epler. Now, there's rumors they're going to hire David Stearns at the end of the season. Maybe Epler's going to be out. But the big move that the Mets want to be able to make this offseason is to bring in Shohei Otani, which would be massive. Who has the biggest ties to Shohei Otani? Billy Epler, because he brought him to the Angels. So I feel like the Mets are kind of boxed in where they might need Epler there to have any shot at Otani. And even if he's the one who's making these poor decisions and is the reason Daniel Vogelbach's in the lineup every night and gets three strikeout lookings and grounds into a double play every game, he's going to stay. And Buck Showalter, after winning 101 games last year, has a long enough leash that I don't think there's going to be any coaching changes per se or management changes. So the question is, maybe they won't happen, but should they happen? Also, I think part of it is like, I don't think Buck Showalter is the issue as well. I mean, you see him in the dugout. It's not you don't hear about player altercations with him. I mean, sometimes like you see a manager going downhill, right? Like, for example, if you're the Yankees with Aaron Boone, I know everyone loves Aaron Boone. But umpires literally talk about him before games and how much they hate him because he's so he he protests every call. And so I feel like there are certain managers that you don't want in there. But Buck Schulter is not one of those, I don't think. And the players like him, I mean, for, as far as I know. And I just don't think he's the root of the issue. I agree with you. I think it comes from above. And I think it does whoever's making the lineups like you're saying it's coming from above i don't know if it's coming from above like i trust you that it is but anyone who's keeping vogel back in the in the lineup is driving me crazy because i can't do that and i refuse i just also i don't know like to not bring up mauricio as well like i just think there are certain things like what do the mets have to lose at this point like your season's basically going down the drain so you may as well make moves and i feel like it took them a little bit too long to call up francisco alvarez i feel like they didn't play brett Beatty enough in the beginning like i think there are certain moves that could have been made that haven't and i think that the mets just have to realize they're a new team like they're not the team they were last year and the lineup's not going to look the same as it was last year you have you're a totally different fundamental team because now you're a fundamentally young team and so i think whoever in management is on board with that idea needs to stay and everyone else needs to realize this isn't going to look like the team that won 101 games last year because it's not you also have to cut your losses if you're billy epler too like you have to kind of acknowledge when you 
made a bad move. He eventually did that with Darren Ruff. You have to realize that with Vogelbach. You gave up Colin Holderman, who has turned into a great reliever for the Pirates, who ironically pitched very well against the Mets this weekend in Pittsburgh. But you know what? Just move on from it. Vogelbach was a nice piece for a few weeks last year. He has been horrible this year. And again, when you're in the major leagues and we're in a league where it's so much about offense now, you need a DH who is a power hitter who can actually hit the ball hard. And Daniel Vogelbach doesn't do that. And there are so many liabilities with him. He can't run the bases. He can't play in the infield, the outfield. He can't play any defense. He's just a DH and he can't hit against lefties. Like there are so many negative factors with him that, he doesn't bring any positives to the table. There's, there's one thing that he can do, which is hit, and he's not doing it. So I don't understand yep. the reason why he's still there. They've been so quick to option down everyone else. I mean, they sent Guillaume down this fast, and I'm I'm a Guillaume stand, like I always have been, but I don't understand for what reason Vogelback is still there. Because I get Pete Alonso's hurt, and you're like, oh, we need a power hitter. When's the last time Vogelback did anything? Like, mm-hmm. every time he goes up, every Mets fan looks at it and goes, okay, it's going to be a strikeout. And so I don't understand why he's still there. And so I'm totally on the same page with you as that. Just like, I guess he served that purpose for a couple weeks. And I remember being excited about him, but you can't have someone, DHs now, especially as you're saying, are so powerful. You need someone who every time they come up, the pitchers have to work, like managers of the other team have to worry about who's pitching against them. They have to worry about who's coming up next. And they have to, it have to be considering like intentionally walking them. You want a DH to come up and have people treat them like they're Pete Alonso. And Vogelback is like an easy out. It's like an automatic out. And so I think that's also a big part, like, as you said, he doesn't play the field. He is an automatic out because he's not doing what he's supposed to. What do you think is the holdup? Like, why won't they send him down? I don't know. I really am lost for words at this point because you think about last year, Robinson Cano, when they just got rid of him and he was owed so much money and Steve Cohen was willing to eat it. Daniel Vogelbach is not owed much money at all. He is on a very small contract. There is no reason why you're not designating him for assignment at this point. I have a little bit of optimism that the signing of Luke Voigt may create a window where we see Vogelbach gone and Voigt gets called up and added to the 40. Uh, Vogie gets DFA'd and then maybe Voigt's playing first or DH and you can work in Vientos and Canna as well until Alonso gets back. I'd rather see Luke Voigt than Daniel Vogelbach at this point. I know Voigt hasn't been great the last two years. He did lead the league in home runs in the 60-game season. He knows how to hit in New York because he played well for the Yankees when he was there. I, I think that's something that you can consider. And at this point, Give something else a try. They're Daniel Vogelbach running him out there every day. I'd rather see Tommy Pham. I, I know people complain about Tommy Pham. I love he's Tommy Pham. He's I'm delivered a some good hits. Yeah. He can't play the field, but put him in at DH. At least he can hit the ball. I mean, the game when Alonzo got hurt and he came in and had to play the entire game, he was good. Mm-hmm. And like he was the star of that game. That's why the Mets put up any runs in that game. I mean, he brought up, he brought in like what was it like two runs or something or more? And the Mets didn't score that much. So I think there are certain guys like the Mets have the capacity to do things. It's just who gets the opportunity on the right day. And I think that's also been a real issue with, I don't know if it's management. I don't know what it comes from, but the Mets have guys who can perform, but they're not using them in the way that those guys can perform. And I think that as well is just a huge issue. Like I don't necessarily know that the pieces aren't there. I just don't think the pieces are arranged properly to be working. Yeah, and that goes with the lineup structure, too. Like, I don't know why Francisco Alvarez was batting ninth for almost a month when... He was the best hitter on the team. Yes. 
besides Alonzo, he was the yeah, most productive there. offensive player. Yeah. And he was hitting ninth. Now they jump him to second. He should be hitting third or fourth, like fourth or fifth. He should be cleaning up. Let Marte and McNeil and Lindor get on base and then let your RBI machine and Alvarez come up. Like it's it's not that difficult. And I mean, I'm still happy that the Mets are in a better situation than they were five years ago when they batted out of order under Mickey Calloway, but it's frustrating to see this happening right now. And this kind of leads to the next topic here. The Subway Series is coming up, the first of two mini Subway Series this year. It's two games at City Field coming up uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. And there's not that much hype surrounding it at all because Pete Alonso is out. Aaron Judge is out. Of course, those are the stars of both teams. The pitchers, with the exception of Garrett Cole, that will be on the mound, have underperformed this year. Severino for the Yankees, Scherzer and Verlander for the Mets. And as much as the Mets have struggled, the Yankees are in a different position because, you know, record-wise would show that they've done pretty well, but they've struggled against their division and their division is so loaded that they're in some trouble right now. They just dropped two of three at home against the Red Sox that all kinds of defensive blunders last night. Yankees are not doing all that well either. I mean, I think it's hard. And also, like we say, it's not a series that like is one of the biggest subway series. But yet I've been trying to get tickets for three weeks now. And there's literally like no tickets available. So I don't know what people want to see, but clearly they still want to be there and see what's going on. I'm scared for this series because I feel like one of the things that I've been putting out of my head is a lot of times if the Mets lose one day, I see if the Yankees lost. And if the Yankees lost, I feel better about the Mets losing. And I have been checking the past couple of weeks because the Yankees have a much better record than the Mets right now. And the Mets have been a disaster. But I think this is really going to bring light to how bad the Mets are. Because the Yankees have the ability to like, basically what happened with the Mets versus the Braves could totally happen versus the Yankees. And I don't even think the Mets will be able to put up as much as many runs against the Yankees. And so I think that's my biggest concern is just like public humiliation, because the chances of that happening, especially right now when the Mets are at a low after losing so many games, other than that one they won against the Pirates, I think there's a total chance that they just suck. And so I think that's the biggest fear, especially New York. Obviously, the Yankees want to play well, and it's always an exciting game. But I'm just worried that on such a big stage, the Mets are going to suck really, really badly. Now, fortunately for the Mets, there's a lot of teams that were hyped up before the season that haven't really played that well either. Like my pick for the NLCS looks really bad right now. I had the Padres and the Cardinals. The Cardinals have been (laughs) awful this year. San Diego has not been all that good either. Uh, Tim's Cy Young pick was Alec Manoa, and he's now in, what, the Florida Complex League or something. There's been kind of some surprises so far in baseball this year. I think the two that really jump out to me, the Diamondbacks with Corbin Carroll have been really good in that NL West that's stacked. And then of course the Orioles in the AL East, they've been keeping pace with Tampa Bay. They've been better than both the Yankees and the Blue Jays this year. And they keep winning games and they're winning games in divisional play as well. So uh, we're, we still got a long way to go about a hundred games left in the season for everybody, but you know, two months in, you start to see who the real contenders are And we're seeing some teams we didn't necessarily expect really rising to the occasion. But uh, Zoe, let's shift to football now because I haven't had you on in a while. And I don't believe we've had you on since Aaron Rodgers officially left the NFC North to go to the New York Jets. And now everybody's hyping up the Detroit Lions as maybe the best team in the NFC North. So do you feel the same way heading into the season? Okay. As a Lions fan, I feel that I am trained to publicly say, it's like I'm press trained to say, Don't put the Lions too high. Don't hype up the Lions too much because I love Dan Campbell and I love this team and I have all my faith in this team. But I also think there's a certain heart guard that I've had to put on that is like I can't put all my balls into one basket. And so 
I am a little bit afraid. I'm always afraid. I think under such media scrutiny and under such like, I mean, right now they are the best team in the NFC North. I'm not going to question that, but I'm interested to see how they perform because the Lions haven't had that title in years. And even like at the end of last season, they did seem to shine under that title. Okay, you're this you're this team that's flourishing, that's coming up in the North and it worked, but I'm afraid that disastrous things could happen. And I'm always afraid as a Lions fan. However, I am so excited about this team. Like every time I talk about this team, I cannot stop talking about this team. My dad and I every day, he's also a big Lions fan, have been sending each other articles, how much we love this team, how excited we are. I think the biggest thing the Lions have going for them as an organization isn't the players they have, isn't whatever. I think it's Dan Campbell. And I think it's the environment that he's built because there's even videos that are like in training camp and in practice and everything. The guys love each other. Like the guys are so all over each other and would do anything for each other. And that's something that you can't buy. That has to be built. And so I think for the Lions, that's my biggest thing is like, I really feel confident about this team because I think the guys are really devoted to each other and really devoted to winning. And so it's almost like no matter who they put in that's on their roster, it's going to work out. I think my biggest worry is always injuries with them. I mean, if Jared Goff were to get hurt, I don't know what happens to this team. And I mean, I know there's whatever the whatever his name is, the guy they drafted. I haven't even talked about him that much. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. But um, I don't know. Like, I think it's going to depend on what happens. I'm worried about injuries as I always am, but I'm. And don't forget about gambling, too. You got to be careful with that. <laughs> okay, let's talk about this for a minute because this is the stupidest thing ever. Because first of all, he was not betting on NFL. He was betting on college. And a bunch of players apparently still don't even know what the rule is because I guess he was in an NFL facility while he was betting on a college game. But how does he have... I get why there are things in place like, okay, as an NFL player, you can't bet on an NFL game. I get that, especially not on your own team. Like, that makes sense. But you're going to tell me so many of these guys don't play fantasy football where they bet with their friends. You're going to tell me so many of these guys, like... I just don't understand. They don't play best with each other. And the fact that it was for college makes me the angriest because what stake does he have in that? Like, why does that matter? And I'm not angry at him. I mean, sure, maybe he should have known the rules. And it's more aggravating at the amount of time that he's getting off, right? Because there are certain people who, like, who have done much worse things, right? Like domestic violence, things that are real, real crimes. And, and now Jameson's off for, like, a third of the season or more. And it just feels like that's a very harsh penalty for something that shouldn't really be as harsh a rule. And so I think that's my biggest issue with it. Like, yes, he shouldn't have done it, but I think he's serving a lot of time for something that's not that significant. Fair enough. Fair enough. But still, I think his absence is going to mean a lot for the Lions. Here's the deal I feel like in the NFC. I don't know what to expect from the Packers. Jordan Love could be great. He could be a complete bust. He's going to be so bad. He's going to be so bad. I... This is for the first time in my life I can say while genuinely believing that the Packers are going to go down in a hot mess. And I am so excited for it. Like at this point, I don't even obviously I'd love the Lions to do well and I'd love them to go far in the playoffs. But if the if the Packers finish at the bottom of the division, that will be almost as satisfying for me as the Lions winning the division. Just to see them suck and not know what to do without Aaron Rodgers is going to be fabulous. I mean, Aaron Rodgers sat under Brett Favre for a couple of years and then he came good and didn't play much. You never know. It, it's possible. Tom I, Brady didn't play his rookie year. It's always possible, but I don't see it with Jordan Love personally. And sure, maybe the Packers will do it. I mean, they always end up winning somehow with someone. But I don't think Aaron Rodgers, and I know Brett Favre wasn't the best role model either. And Aaron Rodgers still was able to like blossom out of him. But 
I don't think Aaron Rodgers was a great role model in a lot of ways, and especially how he interacted with the team. And so I don't know how Jordan Love's going to react with that. And I just don't know what to think about it, but I'd like to believe that the Packers are going to be in a really bad situation, and I'd love to see that happen, especially at a time when the the thing that always inhibits the Lions from winning is the Packers. There's always multiple years in a row, every year, last game of the season, Lions play the Packers, the Lions lose, they miss the playoffs, right? It's, it's just the way it's set up. And or they miss winning the division or they miss doing something. And for the one thing that always inhibits the Lions to not be there and for the Lions to be good at that time as well is really exciting. I don't know if Jordan Love's going to be good, but I think it's really hard to I mean, he barely played and to be thrown into a scheme like the Packers want to run where they rely really heavily on their quarterback to kind of facilitate everything and get everything going. I don't know how that's going to work out. NFC, it's just there's a lot of opportunity here for the Lions beyond just their division. I mean, the South is horrible. I mean, maybe the Saints or the Panthers are going to rise above. I don't think I think Bryce Young's going to need some time to adjust to the NFL. Is Bryce Young even Bryce Young is I don't see it in Bryce Young. I'm not going to lie. Like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, I saw it in Bryce Young before and I believed in him more than CJ Stroud, but the two of them like I don't think either of them is going to be great, great. And I guess we'll see what happens, but especially not immediately. So I think like you're saying, like, I don't think, especially this year, I don't think he's going to be a threat maybe in future years, but as a rookie, I don't see him winning rookie of the year or doing something like that. Yeah. It's it's the East and the West really in the NFC. That's going to carry the conference because the East, I think I'm confident that the Eagles are going to be good this year. Maybe not make it back to the Super Bowl, but they're going to make it probably a deep playoff I run. Mean, at this point, like I never really trusted you when you said the Eagles were going to be scary because I think it's the same way that like, if I say the Lions are going to be scary most years, you don't believe me. And so it's kind of like the a Eagles are a better franchise than the Lions. No, I agree. The Eagles historically are a much better franchise, but I think also just like out of, out of the root of our friendship, I feel as though I have to challenge you every time you say the Eagles are going to be great, but I do think the Eagles are a team to be feared. And I think there are some pieces that have been lost. I mean, how do you feel about like Gardner Johnson, like coming over to the Lions? Like, I think there are some pieces that have been lost, but the Eagles are a terrifying team at its core. And I agree with you. I think they're going to be really scary. As for the rest of the division, I know people think the Giants are going to be great. I don't see it personally. I've never been that high on the Giants. Daniel Jones is not the next star in the NFL. I'm so sorry to whoever thinks that. And Shout Tim, out Tim Moore. Yeah, I was going to say, Tim, if Tim were here, there's a reason Tim's never here when I'm here. Like, Tim would definitely <laughs> be fighting me on this. But I do not think that he's he's that great. And for him to be paid, especially like these other quarterbacks, blows my mind. No idea about that. And we will totally see what happens. Like, Washington will be fine. The Bill, uh, not the Bills, Um, Washington will be fine and whatever. I always use the New York teams. But um, the Eagles are going to be good. But I feel like the Eagles are going to run away with the division. I'm hoping that happens. I think Dallas is going to have a solid year. I think losing Zeke actually is going to have more of an impact than you might think. Because Dallas think still doesn't have that. a serious running back. Because you lost you, you lost uh, Pollard for the beginning of the year probably because of the knee injury. And Zeke's off the roster. So. But Zeke, I think a lot of the times Zeke hurts them. Because they put too much pressure on Zeke. It's kind of like when the Giants have Saquon, right? Like. They're like, okay, you have been so historically good, so we're going to give you the ball so much, and we're going to trust you to do things. And then it's too much pressure, and it doesn't work. And so I think, in a way, the Cowboys could be scarier without Zeke because they rely on Zeke too much for things. They're going to fill it with someone. The The Cowboys always bring someone in, and because of their offensive line, they always end up with I mean, where did Tony Pollard come from? Like, they always have someone who comes in and can run. So I think, sure, the Cowboys could be good, but I don't think they're going to really rival the Eagles. 
The one thing I will say, though, is Zeke was more than just a running back. He was a blocker, too. You mentioned the offensive line. He really complimented the offensive line at times and could really set up Dak for big plays. I I, I, I make fun of Zeke on this show as much as anybody else does, but I think they are, they are losing something in him. I also think whoever ends up with DeAndre Hopkins, there's a chance he could end up in Dallas. That's going to weigh heavily on uh, who performs well, especially if he goes to the NFC. But I'm with you. I think the Eagles are the best team in the division. I'm also with you that I think the Giants were a little bit fluky last year. And next time we have Tim on, we will uh, dive into that a little bit. Do you believe in Daniel Jones? Let me ask no. you this. No. Because this is a pivotal question because I don't understand how people can believe in him. He's a mess. He is. I, 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 he, I, I watched him play against the Eagles well, I watched the Giants play against the Eagles three times last year. And I know the Eagles were kind of, you know, kind of giving up in week 18. But the time the Giants had the best chance against the Eagles was when Davis Webb was their quarterback. Not the two games when Daniel Jones was out there. I don't care if Daniel Jones's contact lenses fell out or whatever. Davis Webb did better against Jalen Hurts and an Eagles defense than Daniel Jones did either time. So I think the Giants, because of their defense and because they have a really good coach, could be carried. But Daniel Jones is not great, and I've said it before. I didn't really understand why he got paid as much as he did, but everybody, every quarterback in the NFL is overpaid at this point, so uh, I guess that's just the way things go. But let's finish with something else. So we're both in Big Ten schools. Uh, I'm at Rutgers. You're at Northwestern. And the Big Ten has this massive media package now, and they're basically on every network. And what better way to kick off the college football season than a standalone Sunday afternoon game at SHI Stadium between Rutgers and Northwestern on September 3rd? You know that exactly is- what's going to happen in that game. I Rutgers do too. is going to beat the living hell out of Northwestern. That's not going to happen. No, I swear I'm considering showing up wearing red because I I love Northwestern and I love my school. But Northwestern's football program is very, very much a joke. And you haven't seen, like, Northwestern play in person. It may be one of the most painful things. I'm a Lions fan. I've seen a lot of bad things. I've seen Matthew Stafford throw four interceptions in a game. I've seen the Lions lose 40-something to zero. Nothing compares to watching Northwestern play. And I am absolutely terrified, especially on the road. I am absolutely terrified for what's about to happen on national television. I've watched Rutgers rotate four different quarterbacks in on one drive. So I I, th- I think it compares. I've watched Rutgers use their third string running back as a quarterback for five out of eight plays against Michigan State in a game. So I'm not saying uh, Northwestern's bad. Northwestern did not win a game on this continent last year. But it's like, it, 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 it's just hilarious that... The but, Big Ten has this big package, and that's the first game that's going to get national billing on CBS. Honestly, like, Twitter's going to love it. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie. Like, it's going to be the game of who's worse. And that's going to be great for media. So I understand why they did it. My only hope is, like, sometimes New Jersey feels like another continent. So I'm hoping maybe they're able to do something on there. Maybe they'll think it's Ireland and go off. But I am very worried. I think out of all the teams that they could have put on, they chose the two schools in the Big Ten with arguably the worst football programs. And so I think that's fantastic. You and I are going to have a little team up. We're going to watch the game. The two of us will sit there groaning at who's worse. And it'll be a game of interceptions. And I am so, so excited for it. It's going to be fun. And Rutgers has like seven home games this year, four in the month of September. It's great. The way they structured Rutgers' schedule this year, 
is really fun. They have seven home games and they have four winnable home games in the month of September. So they could put themselves in position to maybe like get five wins or maybe somehow make a bowl. I don't think they're going to make a bowl. They're probably going to go five and seven at best, probably more like four and eight, but maybe they'll be Northwestern. Last time these teams played Northwestern did win two years ago, but uh, if Northwestern gets two wins on the season, I will rejoice. You will. I will rejoice. Okay. If they get two wins. I will keep that noted. That's my goal. When they get their second win, you can come on the show again and rejoice. I, that might mean I'll never be on the show again, Eddie. That's going to be very, that's win. very sad. <laughs> but on that note, that'll be it for this episode of Sports Speak. Uh, special news next episode, we're going to be joined by Matt Sims. He's a former quarterback for the University of Tennessee and a third string quarterback for the New York Jets. He's going to talk about this incoming NFL QB class. Tim and I will speak with him on episode 138. But that's it for this one. Follow us on Twitter at Sports Speak Live. For Zoe Alter, I'm Eddie Kalegi. Signing off of Sports Speak. Enjoy the rest of your week.